0: I believe that veterans are the key to unlocking America's next golden age. By empowering and influencing one million veterans to transition well and become leaders in their communities, we can unlock our country's destiny and continue to change the world. My name is Bernard Bergen. I am talking with Theo Brown, the Smiling Barber. You can follow him on IG at Theo underscore The Smiling Barber, that's T-H-E-S-M-I-L-I-N-G-B-A-R-B-E-R. Now, Theo, you are a master barber and a barbering educator. Why do you think so many veterans miss the opportunity to be a leader behind the barber chair?
1: You know, I think when it comes to a specific job, it doesn't even really have to be with barbering. I think a lot of times veterans kind of take a backseat because they feel like they've done enough for the country Mm. (laughs) or, you know, Mm. or did they? They've done enough for the community. So they don't really know their role as a civilian yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people have been civilians all their life. They didn't really have to transition from one lap to another. They've just been doing that one thing for a long period of time. So when you come out as, say, depending on what, what rank you come out of, or it really doesn't matter what rank, it's just you go from one extreme to the other. So mm-hmm. you don't really know how to handle the other part of your life where, you know, in the military, you might have been a leader um, mm-hmm. to you know, a squad or a team, and you already knew that team. But once you come out and you talk to civilians, there's no immediate connection. At least if you're in the military, you see somebody you know, in a uniform, you're like, okay, there's at least one similarity. But once you are on this side of the, I guess, of life, if you will, in the afterlife, as I call it, you are still trying to gain your bearing because you don't know how to approach certain situations. You don't know how your views align with their views Because it seems like the majority in the military agree to one view or another. Hmm. There's not that many opposing views. I mean, there's many, you know, opposing ideas, but viewpoints, you know, as long as the mission gets done, okay. But out here in the civilian world, it's a little bit different. Not everybody can respond well to not even a conversation, you know, Hmm. like not a confrontational tone, but a leadership style that is military-like. So Hmm. a lot of veterans kind of feel like civilians are not going to like the way they're going to lead. I mean, there's a few that will take the lead and actually be great at it, but the majority I feel, don't know exactly where they fit in yet. Mm. So to lead without knowing where you fit in, it's kind of hectic and nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think
0: that's why. Yeah. I love that. You you know, you just took the time to talk about the divide, talk about that there is a process of transition. And I think because so many have never experienced it, it does leave a big gap in the knowledge and how to help others uh, do something they've never done. So Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. what you shared will be received. Now, Theo, tell us a bit more about yourself. Now, I know you serve both in the Corps and the Army. And how did both environments help mold you to being the man you are today?
1: Wow, that's a loaded question. So let me go ahead and give you a side dish to that loaded full plate. So originally, I am from uh, Rwanda, Africa, and I was born and raised and came to the States in 1994 whenever the genocide kicked off. I grew up in a different culture period. Mm-hmm. So the American culture is a completely different <laughs> completely different viewpoint. So hopefully that will kind of lead into this question, but let me dive a little bit deeper beyond the military and before the military. So growing up in Africa, it's a different culture obviously, but my dad's a pastor, my mom was a teacher and she was a principal, you know, at her school. So our upbringing was in the blue collar. Mhm. A lot of things that, that we had, but in that culture though, teachers and pastors or anybody in a community leadership role is viewed at a higher level. I can't say we were treated any different, but people looked at us definitely a little bit more thoroughly <laughs> versus say, mm-hmm. you know, your typical kid. So that kind of formed a need of responsibility. You know, we felt responsible to carry on a good name, mm-hmm. we felt re- responsible to set an example Even though Preacher's kids are like the worst kids, (laughs) uh, (laughs) we we still managed somehow to try and set a good example, because if we didn't, we would hear about it. So, (laughs) you know, in order with that, there was always a structure. So where my parents are both well-educated, they also instilled within us the need for bettering yourself, the need for (laughs) continuous (laughs) education. And so now fast forward to coming to the American culture, When we got to America in 94, we didn't know any English. It was me, my older brother, Tim, and my younger sister, Grace. Later on, my little brother joined us in 1995. He was born in 1995. So we grew up in the U.S. without really knowing any English. So there was a language barrier, which for me, uh, I can't really talk much for my siblings, but for me, it taught me more self-awareness at an early age. Because the only way to communicate with other kids was to kind of guess what they're saying in my head Mm -hmm. and kind of see what they want by reading their body language or kind of depending on the situation, kind of dictating, okay, this is kind of where it's leading to. So let me follow suit. That's kind of how I learned to speak English by mimicking others or by trying to understanding what they were wanting. So it helped me read people well. Mm. So I I could literally sit here and kind of watch the person for a little bit and get a basic understanding of what their need is without them having to say anything. So that alone was something that I didn't know I had until, (laughs) until later on in life. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, as a kid, you don't really pay attention to all that. You, you don't even pay attention to what you're doing, you know, until later on in life. And you are just like, Oh, so that's why I tend to do this. Oh, or that's why I tend to kind of react this way. Right. Um, With that growing up in that environment, and we grew up in, in a rural town in Kentucky, in Breath of County. <laughs> it's a little city named Van Cleve. It's literally got a, like, a post office and one light, and they're both in the same like location. So <laughs> if wow. you blink, you miss it. And we were the only African-American family probably within a two-hour, three-hour radius mm. um, because it was deep, deep down in the mountains of Kentucky. So that alone, it wasn't any different. I, I didn't think it was any different then, but looking back now, it was totally different, but it also gave me a different perspective on the American life. It Mm -hmm. gave me a different culture of the American culture, if you will, because the people who were around were loving people, even though they were a different race, they embraced us as family. Mm -hmm. And it was different from, say, whenever I got older and we moved to Dayton, Ohio, (laughs) that was a different culture shock in itself. So before the military, I was already exposed to a lot of um, different changes in life. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I joined the military, I already kind of had a sense of self. There was not a whole, I can't say there was a whole lot that the military taught me on self, but it did teach me on a different level. So for me, whenever I joined the Marine Corps, the first time I was exposed to the Marine Corps experience, I would say that it was when we, we were traveling and my dad was supposed to be preaching somewhere in Ohio. Our vehicle broke down. And we were sitting on the side of the road for about, maybe about an hour. And then this van pulls up and it's just two Marines. There are two recruiters. They asked to help us. We got in a van with them. And then they dropped us off at the next truck stop Mm. where we got our van fixed. And so during that time in the van, you know, they had a lot of Marine Corps epiphanalia. So stickers, uh, magazines, you name it, they're recruiters. So they had all their stuff with them. Yeah. And so... I'm flipping through. I'm looking at these stickers. I'm like, wow, this color scheme is really nice. You know, as a kid, I'm, I'm not really paying attention to who they are or, you know, what it is. And so I picked up a brochure. I seen a guy in dress blues. I'm like, wow, that guy looks really respectable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say, mm-hmm. wow, I don't even know what it is about it, but that's what I want to do when I grow up, you know. And then I flipped page to see, you know, I seen uh, people climbing obstacle courses, i seen jets flying. Mm-hmm. I've seen helicopters flying. I've seen people jumping out of helicopters. I've seen people with green faces. I'm like, wow, this is the type of stuff that you've seen in movies. Like, this is awesome. And so I completely forgot about that. And I think I pocketed one of their brochures, to be honest with you. And so later on in life, this was about maybe, I was, gosh, maybe I was 10 or 11. Three years later, completely forgot about that experience. But three years later, a young man from that community joined the Marine Corps, and I got I got a chance to go to Paris Island for his graduation. Mm. Um, and that experience right there made it complete full circle. And, you know, watching Marines march, watching the precision, watching the drill instructors yell, watching, you know, just watching people's world change. Cause I seen him leaving, you know, he was a heavyset kid mm-hmm. left, came back completely different person, mm. completely different, you know, after just three months. And I'm like, wow, that right there, that's what I want to do. That is what I want to be. So from that point on, I made it a point that I want to be in the Marine Corps. I want to be in the Marine Corps. So when I joined the Marine Corps and got that Marine Corps experience of the yellow footprints at zero dark 30 in the morning and getting yelled at, I was like, wow, I feel like I've been waiting for this all my life. And then experiencing my own graduation, I went in, I was how much away? I think I was about 240 Mm. No, nah, so I was considered a fat body, which is great because I got extra PTN. and whenever I graduated, my parents came down and I passed my mom like two or three times because she didn't recognize me. So, <sighs> <laughs> so <sighs> when I was like, mom, 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 it's, it's me, Theo, like mom. So whenever I smiled, cause I got a pretty noticeable gap and that's when she realized <laughs> that's when she realized that Hey, I'm her son. In all uh, my profile pictures in my Instagram, there's a picture of me and my mom. And we pretty much resemble each other. So, so when she see me, she was like, oh, my. She started crying. She's like, what did it do to you? You look so skinny. You need something to eat. She Like for the whole entire day during family day, she kept asking me if I needed something to eat. Like if I was hungry, if I was sick. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it, yeah. She couldn't stop looking at me. So, you know, I got that experience. But even in the Marine Corps community or, in, you know, in my Marine Corps career of four years, there was a lot of things that, that happened that changed my viewpoint of the world, uh, that changed my viewpoint on leadership, that changed my viewpoint on manhood. I'll say that Marines are a crazy breed, and I use crazy loosely. Um, maybe anybody who's listening to this and was in the Marine Corps, they can probably chuckle and agree that it's a different environment, it's a different society, it's a different way of life. Mm-hmm. And you, especially being in the Marine Corps infantry, that's also, a, <laughs> that's like a subdivision of the Marine Corps that's completely crazy and different on its own. And you get to meet a lot of people from different walks of life. You get to meet a lot of styles of leadership, yeah. some great, some terrible, some mediocre, some just like, what are you doing here? <laughs> so, so that experience alone kind of showed me the the goods and bads of leadership. That was my first experience of military leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of gave me a baseline of what leadership should be. So whenever I got out uh, in 2010 and then I immediately joined the Army, that was also a different culture shock from leaving the Marine Corps to the Army because the culture is so different. It's not bad. It's different. You know, a lot of people were like, why would you downgrade from being a Marine to, you know, a soldier? I was like, "I was like, that's not a downgrade. That's it, It's just a shift of mindset. Uh, yeah. I literally had to shift my mindset because whenever I got out, I was a Lance Corp. So equivalent to I would say I was a terminal lens. <laughs> a terminal lens is somebody who's been a lens corporal pretty much the majority of their career and they didn't intend on getting promoted anytime soon because they don't want to join the responsibility ranks of corporal, sergeant, staff sergeant, gunnery sergeant. So they stay terminal lens to get comfortable. It's an E3. It's the equivalent to the specialist underground, if you will, in the army. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so so you kinda Depending on who you hang out with and depending on who your circle is, you kind of tend to be a terminal specialist or a terminal lens for quite a long time until you kind of change that mindset. Mm-hmm. So joining the Army shifted my mindset because whenever you know, I joined the Marine Corps, that was a, more of a personal decision. Like, I want to fight for the country because I was in 2006, so it was in the heat of everything that was going on in Iraq, and I wanted to go over and fight. And I was like, man, does, you know, I want to protect my country. Plus, I look great and dress blues. I'm a Marine. <laughs> like, that's what I want to do. So whenever I got out and joined the army, it was more of a, I did it for the family. So my why was different mm-hmm. my why, because my why was different. My mindset had to be different also. But one thing that didn't change was my work. ethic. that didn't change. So in 2009, I got married and my wife went with me through one deployment. That was our toughest deployment as a whole in my unit in uh, 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines. We lost a lot of guys because I was, <laughs> I was a unit barber by default. Mm. Um, <laughs> so a lot of them I knew on a personal level because, you know, as a barber, you're not just there. You're just, you know, you're a guy that people kind of refer to, yeah. and come to, and kind of yeah. just tend to hang around. So a lot of the guys were some of the people that I, I had cut the, like the deployment prior. And one of them was uh, Sergeant Wallace. Sergeant Wallace was David Wallace. He was one of the, I would say, the guys that, that spearheaded my barbering career. Um, wow. Because any time there was a training event, he was an engineer, and any time there was a, you know, a training event that everybody went to, or any time there was a time that he could show me how to cut hair, you know, he provided that platform for me. Uh, mm-hmm. When when you know I went to deploy the first time was uh, it was on a 22nd mute. And I was, you know, once again, the unit barber. So he made sure I was set. He made sure I had everything that I needed, you know, he made sure to show me how to cut certain types of hair. He literally mentored me through that little time and that little culture. And so I definitely owe him a lot and I'm internally grateful for getting to know him. And when we lost him, it was a hard hit for me uh, personally, because I knew him on a different level. than say most of the Marines that were unfortunately killed he was definitely one of those guys that his smile—I don't know—he he just had a an aura about him, like he could not notice. <laughs> you know yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, he was one does. of those guys. Yeah. So definitely did something to me because I felt like I lost a friend. I felt like I lost a mentor. I literally went probably about a whole week. I didn't eat. Mm. I mean, I drank a lot of water because we're you know we're in Afghanistan, but I couldn't eat. Like my stomach—I don't know what that feeling was. I just couldn't eat because yeah. I just felt like. It was such a deep loss for me. So, you know, any chance I get, I definitely, definitely put it out there in the atmosphere. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sergeant Wallace, for providing that platform for me and and helping me see the world through a different lens. Now, getting back to that transition from the Marine Corps to the Army, because my why was different, my mindset had to change to, I'm doing this for my family. Uh, I'm doing this for my wife. Um, She said, I mean, I came back and she had lost a lot of weight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: because of stress she yeah could eat, yeah um yeah. a lot of sleepless nights so when we got married and she looked at me she said mm, hey this whole being a grunt thing ooh we uh <laughs> i know you're coming to your you know end of your term but uh i don't know if i can make it through one more deployment i said "Roger that yeah um yeah. some people might look at it as quote-unquote being whipped if you will or i don't know how to look at it but priorities. it doesn't re-
0: pri- pri- priorities though
1: yeah, 110%. Yeah. And that's why I was going to say, you know, it doesn't really matter how they look at it because they weren't the ones that were looking my wife in the face and had to see the pain and the yeah. frustration and yeah. everything else, you know. And when you, not necessarily, I can't say when you love somebody, but when you care about somebody on a deeper level, there is something in you that needs to shift. And yeah. so when you get married, there's a mindset that needs to shift. When you go from, from one environment to another, there's a mindset that needs to shift. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: my mindset was family.
0: Let me uh, push on that just a bit because I think it will help okay. dialogue and discussion, current service members, even veterans. Now, the uh, divorce rate in the military, 70%. And, you know, people kind of gloss over that. We're like, oh, we're fit. We're fighting strong. And one of the things I always challenge people is if you can't keep your word in one environment,
2: mm-hmm.
0: can we trust you to keep that oath you made?
2: Because mm-hmm.
0: aren't they both oaths? Right. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: You know, I've heard somebody say how you do one thing is how you do Mm. everything. And that resonated with me. It still bugs me. (laughs) It still bugs me because it keeps me accountable. I believe that in the military community, there's a lot of things that when it comes to family and when it regards to marriage, I think there's a lot of people that go into marriage in the military thinking, different. (laughs) you know, their why is different. You know, unfortunately, it's driven by BAH, mm. and <laughs> unfortunately, it's driven by you know a little extra pay here and there. And so, to them, it's no big deal because it's contractual uh, yeah. and it's not covenant. Um, huh. I heard uh, Quest Green talk about that a lot between uh, contract and a covenant. Those sound almost similar, but they are two different words and they have two completely different meanings. Yeah. So when you go into something with a contract, you're liable to break that contract there's always a way out of the contract and there's right. always
2: a, always a way. A, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there's always a, you know, a way out and that contract comes to an end eventually. Mm-hmm. It has to, it's a contract, it's limited term, but a covenant, that is something that you have to sit there and soak in, mm. uh, over time. And that's something that regardless of the shift in the wind, regardless of hell, high water, a covenant stands, um, yeah. And I think that's what is different in the military community, not saying that there's people who are not dedicated to their job or to their duties, but I believe there's a lot of empty promises mm. um, and, and that divorce rate continually gets higher. But the other aspect that besides the, <laughs> the money motivator, I think the other aspect is there is not a whole lot of marriage training in the military. Mm. We train literally for everything else and, yeah. you know, in which we should. In which we completely should because of the jobs that we do yeah. um, but nobody trains you to be a better husband. Mm. Um, nobody trains you to be a better father you know they kind of assume because you took on that responsibility you you're supposed to know what to do but you don't a 19 year old an 18 year old a 20 year old heck a 25 year old a 35 year old that you know in the military they might be mature for the military age but if that's all they've done all their life, there's a whole lot that's just not accounted for because now you have somebody who, say for me, for example, my wife had no exposure to the military lifestyle whatsoever. Uh, she's from Kentucky, in the rural part of Kentucky Pikeville. So whenever we met and I told her I was in the Marine Corps, she was like, okay, cool. She had no idea what that was. Mm. She really didn't. I, I mean, until I showed her a picture of me in dress blue, she's like, oh, so that's what you wear. Yep. <laughs> you know, her military knowledge was so limited. Uh, now she's a pro. Believe me, now she's a pro. She's writing her uh, PhD di- uh, dissertation on the military right now. So, yeah, so she's definitely got her wits about her and her bearings right right now, you know, as far as the military is concerned. But she didn't know. So coming into that culture, into that environment where you're always gone, you're always training, um, yeah. she had no idea that that is what it was. She literally thought it was a nine-to-five job. And, mm-hmm. you know, some, some jobs in the military are a nine-to-five kind of job. But I was a grunt. You know, there's no... Timeline. The only timeline there is is is, is timeline to train, timeline to deploy, and timeline to train. And those timelines have to be met all the time. So, like, you can't be late. You cannot not show up. So, for her, it it, it was a culture shock. For her, just being around that was culture shock. So, also, I believe there's not enough training for spouses, especially those who don't have, you know, have any exposure to the military. Um, Even though, yes, we have the internet, we got Google, we got all that stuff, but not until you really live it there isn't anything to prepare you for what you're about to go through as a spouse. Mm. So that alone now put that on top of stress, on top of loneliness and put yeah. that on top of yeah. you name it, just life yeah. in general. And you have a compound for failure and it's almost by failure by default because there's no training or there's no corrective measures set up in place for the military. Yes. They have counselors that have you right. know chaplains they have all that, but, There's not an in-depth, like, hey, you know, they have marriage
0: retreats too. Right, right. There's not a culture that... (laughs) Right, there's not a culture that
1: that supports that type of environment. I'd like to
0: add, you know, to all those who are helping to shift that culture, we want to thank you for the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Um, However, one of the things I always say to uh, men in the military, if they find themselves to be single, yes, I know that's probably a hard place to be. But if you can pull off your career, you know, while you are still single go for it and the challenge mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. while here we are talking about our spouses we all me you others we have seen those right spouses and children mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what a hard harder life that is on their children an adult can adjust a lot faster than a child can absolutely i love that you you know you just took the time to really walk us back through the eyes of a military spouse because as you were talking and sharing i could see my spouse you know and night I like you, um, you know, ultimately, I'm in a covenant, not a contract. So no right. matter what we were pushed on and, and stretched on and, and mm-hmm. uh, the speed bumps we hit, the ultimate goal was to go through life together. And I think you're highlighting just some of the things that we definitely want, you know, our listeners to uh, dive deep on and, and heal in and, and challenge because we want you to have a great career. You have an amazing opportunity in front of you. But I think you're at times paying a price that you don't understand is not worth it at times.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I definitely wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, there's, I don't want to say an epidemic, but there is a culture in the military. People have their own opinions on it, but the single mindset, um, Mm. there's a culture of just like what you said, you know, if a service member is single and they can remain single for their whole career and do that, a great, good, a good on you like I applaud you but when you get to a position of leadership don't push that on your subordinates Mm. and I believe there's a lot of leadership styles that because that person doesn't value family Mm. or they don't necessarily have a family or maybe they failed at it yeah or, or they failed at it they will almost punish those who do have families Wow. In, yeah, in a way. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, 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 yeah. Attitudes, so, uh, yeah, 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 by yeah, like yeah. attitudes, by, hey, you know, my kid's sick. I got to go to the hospital. Hey, yeah. no, hey, mission comes first. Hey, I get that. But there's some units that are great at catering to people with, not necessarily people with family, but a family-like environment mm-hmm. to where, you know, they understand. But some of the units that I was fortunate to be part of, yeah, that culture was high and rampant <laughs> of people making you feel like, you are doing something wrong by taking care of your family. Yeah. That you're doing something that's wrong so, by being faithful.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting that you, uh, you table that because as I look back, I'm like, I've experienced that as well. And what's interesting is that at times people in the military call each other family. Right. At times they disrespect family, <laughs> you know, like, Oh my goodness. Like, yes. Like, yes. You them both? <laughs> like, well, we're brothers. We're family. Wait, time out. That's, that is not how my family treats me. That is right.
1: I don't have to watch my back when I go around family. Like I don't, I don't have to literally be so guarded around family. Oh Um, oh, man, I could go on, on and on (laughs) about this subject because it's one thing that that kind of helped me get out, Mm -hmm. get out of the military or reinforced my decision to go forward with my with my med board or my transition because I got to see, I don't want to call it an opportunity, but It presented itself, so I was, unfortunately, part of it. But I got to see people's lives and family torn apart because of failure on command. And it was heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you, because you're like, wow, I I feel bad for you. But unfortunately, I can't do nothing for you because my hands are tied. And even though I believe in what you're trying to do for your family, I believe Mm -hmm. in what you're asking me. The powers be above me do not agree. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have to administrate this type of punishment or this type of, of environment to not make you an example. But it, there are, it,
0: yeah, it, there are rules. There are rules. Yeah, you're yeah, there the are rules that yeah, have to be followed. You're on the wrong side of the rules and there's no gray. Right. It's not a company where, you know, I'm in charge and I can you know, <laughs> flex the rules.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah I, I, yeah, I can't flex the rules for you because it just doesn't happen that way. That's not how this machine rolls. And so, but yeah, um, I definitely think in order for us to see a huge, not even a huge change, but even a small change would be great, you okay. know, in divorce rate in the military mm-hmm. or in the veteran community is we have to be able to shift their mindset. Yeah. Because and once that shift.
0: And here's why it's so important to me, because the, one of the things that I just believe, again, if, if we leave a bad taste in our young people's mouth, because maybe their dad was in the military and they grew up in a broken home, a broken environment. They right. can blame not just their parent, but also the military and then refuse to serve. You know, we live in a, a volunteer service country. Right. So if enough people say I'm not doing it, that presents a new issue.
1: Absolutely. Because there's a lot of fathers and mothers in the military to tell their kids, I, over my dead body, you you are not joining the military. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Heard you it. Ain't. heard it. Yeah. <laughs> you are not because just the way that, you know, they know, what the culture is like. And they know kind of like the podcast, the the gentleman, the Navy SEAL gentleman that you uh, interviewed, you know, Chris
0: Sinod. Yep. yep. Yeah.
1: uh, uh, Listening to that podcast literally took me back to a time where I was like, wow, like it blew my mind because when you are in an environment that the force is your hand. Mm. And when you are in an environment that unfortunately you can't control your time, you can't control your, your kids see that kids pick up way more than what we give them credit for they might i think because they're not able to express it we kind of just think that they don't pick up things but when his son said that he don't want to eat because he knows he's going to grow up and become a daddy and be away from his family i was like wait a minute Mm. a child of that age noticed the trend and said i don't want to be anywhere close to what he's doing because even though when he said you know, I know I'm gonna have to become a daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like he pretty much already kind of had his whole entire life plan. It's like being a daddy is part of life, and so even though things in life might change later on, but he said, you know, when I become a daddy, I don't want to spend time away from my family. Mm. So, which is one great because that child's father had instilled that family is important because yeah. he, you know, he did his best to be there for his family. But at the same time, he also showed the other side of, unfortunately, in order for us to be where we're at, I'm going to have to spend time away. But that balance right there is is something that we all have an issue with. You know, as men, we're wired different, obviously. So, you know, in order for us to show family that we love them, we do it by working <laughs> or providing, if you will. Yeah. So finding a balance where you have to kind of draw the human nature down a little bit and say wow you know this balance is not working out
2: Mm. like
1: i definitely think that that child has got a a great life ahead of him because he already understands (laughs) what balance looks like and what it shouldn't look like so yeah
0: wow wow i love that i love that you uh you know you highlighted that because that's what we try to do here in a deep way is you know just have these discussions of our unique life experiences um not really opinion-based, but just things we've seen. I think if we state the facts as we've seen them, I think then our listeners uh, hear it, they unpack it, they uh, take away from it what they can take away from it. And I think it's so important that we, you know, continue to have these conversations. And I want to, you know, touch on this. As a master barber, someone who's teaching others to be a barber, you've trained Marines, you've trained us soldiers, and now you're training others to be a professional in a different environment? How are things right. similar and how are things different?
1: The similarities that I can say that I've seen are when somebody comes in into the military or into the industry, they're excited about the industry because it's a new venture. So mm-hmm. automatically it is exciting because they're there. And so they burn a lot of energy up front uh, <laughs> because they really enjoy what they're doing. And I'm speaking from personal experience mm-hmm. and then, when you're in it, then you kind of get to see the, the goods and the bads of it, yeah. and then you are like, oh, you know what? Maybe mm, this ain't for me. I'm glad I made it this far, but I think I'm going to have to get off the bus here. Yeah. And so that seems to be on everybody, but the one thing that also that I've noticed is when your why is stronger than your excuses, mm. then you will succeed regardless. And I got that one from Eric Thomas. He said that on a different level, maybe in a different way, but it carries the same sentiment. Because whenever anybody joins the military because of their parents or because it's a family legacy thing, Mm -hmm. they will rarely make it past probably the first two years in the military.
2: Mm.
1: Because you're doing it for legacy, somebody else's legacy mind you not your own legacy yeah. you're you're using somebody else's why to accomplish a task and that mm-hmm. task is not going to come out the way that it's supposed to for you because it's not your why right so you know a lot of that was some of the soldiers or some of the marines that came in because their parents said that it was great, or their dad was in, and they wanted to make the dad proud, or their grandfather was in, and he fought in World War II, and he always talked about how great the Marine Corps was. But the crazy thing is, we focus hard on the, on the good times, and <laughs> don't recall the bad, because it was terrible. So we don't tell anybody else of the bad, unfortunately. So they have a false pretense. Mm. And then when they get in, they're like, oh, wow, this is not exactly what I thought it was. It's not what I signed up for. Yeah. Thanks for playing. I'm gone. And you also see that in the students that, that are coming in. If their focus is literally to take care of their family because they understand that this is a means to take care of family, this is a means to make a name for themselves, this is a, a means to carry on a family name or their own traditional name. When they're wise deeper than just, well, I had to come to school because I had to, then you will see that they actually learn versus mm. just mm. being attentive. They learn. There's you know, there's different learning styles, but the outcome should still be the same. They should still be able to produce, regardless of how how you learn or regardless of how you intake information. You should still be able to show at the end that, however you intake it, it's translating into something. Yeah, you can't just intake and not expel it out.
0: Yeah, um, consume and to
1: produce. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the <laughs> one of the things that that I had to go through after graduating high school. Was just that because I wasn't a citizen yet. I uh, had to wait on my paperwork, like my green card and all that stuff. So, because I graduated in 2004, and so I wanted to join the Marine Corps immediately right after, but God had those plans and said, Nope, not yet, because I'm holding on to your paperwork. Um, <laughs> so, my paperwork was kind of held up somewhere and I didn't get to join. So, my mom was very insistent in me going to school. I mean, first and foremost, she, she just praised God that I graduated out of high school yeah so you know that was an answer to prayer a lifetime of prayer because i had to go through like three summer schools in two years Uh, i had to go daytime nighttime midday any anytime there was summer school i had to go because i needed to graduate on time so that was my high school experience um (laughs) just in short but whenever that transition from high school to college or to the military came my mom was like hey you have to go to school Mm. i said okay She's like, I don't care what you do, but you got to go to school and you got to work. I said, OK. So I went to the local community college. And if any of my friends are listening to this, they will laugh and get get a chuckle out of it because they saw me there. I went to college. I took every elective possible. <laughs> <laughs> I literally took swimming. I took guitar. I took basketball, weightlifting. I took ballroom dancing. If it wasn't elective, I took it. Why? Because I said, you know what? If I'm going to have to be here, I'm going to make it fun. Yeah. I don't want to stress over homework, and it's making my mom happy. And I might have had to take like a like an English class and a math class that I ended up dropping because I was just like, no, nah, I'm not about that life. You know, let me find another elective to take. So, yeah, I, I literally took as many electives as possible. And I'm telling you that to tell you this, that I see a lot of that in the new students, mm-hmm. The you know, the ones that are, <laughs> quote, unquote, forced to go to school because they didn't. Really have a whole lot going on in high school, or yeah. they man that's also in the military as well, like there's a lot of people that join because well, I had nothing else going on in life, so I had to join like mm-hmm. that's you, you, you shouldn't commit to something that's hard <laughs> because you have nothing else going on for you in life, but you know unfortunately, they make those decisions and, and so those decisions show, but I could definitely say that the Marines or the soldiers that came in and they understood that like if they do not do this. They have nothing to go back home to. If they do not do this, that somebody's going to starve. Mm. If they do not do this, somebody's going to be without a roof. If they do not do this, their parents can't do X and y, and Z. Those y's were even if they did it for four years, they made those four years count. I've seen right before I got out, I, I had three soldiers. Well, all together, I had 11 soldiers, but three of them got pregnant, and their significant others dipped. And mm-hmm. they were left to be single mothers in the military. Let me ask
0: this. Let me ask this. Mm-hmm. So, when they decided to start a family, and um, were some of their significant others in the military as well?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, all of them were. But I don't believe it was a decision that were like, "Hey, let's start a family." I think it was kind of like, "Oh, wow, this just happened." And then whenever they got pregnant, their spouses or their significant other was like, "Hey, you, guess what? I didn't sign up for this part of the marriage." And I didn't sign up for this part of the whole being a daddy thing. You know, I'm oh, good. Wow. And so they dipped. That kind of left me in a bind, to be honest with you. And, and i tell you why, because I'm a male NCO uh, and I have three pregnant females in my section. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this is the part in the army that I had to pull up my big boy pants and actually be a leader. Um,
0: yeah, lead. Yeah. And,
1: yeah, lead. <laughs> like life didn't prep me for this part of the military you know the military preparing me for everything else, but this part of the military.
0: Yeah, I don't remember that in basic training. Yeah, yeah I, I, yeah, I do not individual. remember that.
1: <laughs> so, so, so practice, let's let's lead. You know, even in BLC or WLC or whatever the acronym is for now, they don't teach that. So the no curriculum is set up for this one. So I literally had to again shift my mindset because I went from a leadership style that was I don't want to say harsh, but it was mission first to, wow, I have to sympathize and I have to empathize with something that I have never experienced. I don't have any kids. I'm 32 and me and my wife do not have any kids. We've been married for nine years. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what this part of life entails. So from appointments to when they gave birth to making sure that they were good after that, like it literally taught me a sense of responsibility that I'll never forget because I had to be there for all their hardest moments. And it was difficult because one, when you don't have any training on how to handle something like this, you don't know. It it was a lot of prayer involved on my behalf because I literally had to make sure that every every morning on my way to work, on my way to PC, I prayed for guidance. uh, First and foremost, I prayed for guidance. I prayed for understanding and Mm. I prayed for compassion. Mm. Because I didn't want This to break me in a sense because of the responsibility. I mean, just not even on that piece alone because I still had missions to run. I still had, you know, I was 92 Alpha, so I was, yeah, Yeah. so I was a logistics specialist NCO. So everything that came into my, like my signature, literally had to be on every piece of paper that left. Mm -hmm. So in between that, I'm dealing with trying to find an apartment for this one, trying to make sure that this apartment's safe because, you know, she's a single mom. So I would have. The night before, I would go home. I would look up a list of apartments. I said, hey, I need you to call these people in the morning. And during lunch, we'll drive over there and we'll talk to the people. I'll look at the area and just make sure it's good. And then I'll give it a thumbs up if I think it's worth your while. And uh, actually, I had to do it for two of them. And So that alone gave me a different sense of appreciation for what good leadership looks like mm. um, or what leaders should be doing and, and what mentors should be doing. Also, another epidemic is where leadership takes Advantage of their subordinates, Mm. Um, and that is something that, yeah, uh, unfortunately, that is something that happens, and that is something that kind of gets swept under the rug because if you have a higher up that's done it or that's currently doing it, he Mm. can't punish you for doing it. So, what stops it? Let me ask you this:
0: Mm -hmm. so, to those listeners currently serving or people who have experienced this, what would you suggest that they do right now? You know, I've had guests on the podcast, some of our uh, female battle buddies who have you know spoken about this and just brought and shed some light on it but as a uh, former service member just like you what would you say because again we we see this culture of you know calling out bad actors you know people right. truly violated not just the oath but what it ultimately means to be a leader and be in charge so what should we be suggesting that those who've experienced this uh, do at this point
1: that's a great question Unfortunately, I don't have a deep answer, but I do have an answer that I gave to my soldiers a lot whenever something that conflicted with you know, how they felt or how they should react or, how, or, you know, or to what they should do. I would always ask them or tell them, look at your name tape. Mm. Um, look at your name tape and look at the Army name tape. Which one is going to last longer? Mm. Which one is going to be with you for the rest of your life? Protect that one. Huh. Protect that one. It doesn't matter what uniform you have on. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you have a uniform on. Your 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 value. Come on. Your value is 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 something that you 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 can't. mm, How do I how do I say this without offending anybody? You can't devalue yourself because you have a uniform on. Come on. Your rank does not determine your value, even though. In the military, it seems to be that age. <laughs> your rank determines your value to this team or to this organization. Uh, your rank does not determine your value in life. Come on, the uniform does not determine your value in life. Yeah. So when somebody is doing something wrong, come on, look at your name tape. Protect that name you were given. And then go forward from there. And then what happens from there? Keep protecting that that name. Yes. So you might get blackballed, or you might get looked yeah. at weird, or you might get. Yeah. Hey, that's okay.
0: No mites. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's you will. Coming. You will. You will. It's coming. It's yeah. coming. But,
0: who, but your character and integrity. Who,
1: yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Who you are and who God made you to be. Yeah.
0: Your value is yeah. so
1: much bigger than a uniform. Yeah. And I don't want to go too biblical or too religious or too whatever on this, but. Honestly, I believe that there's a lot of loss of uh, self-identity when you join the military. Obviously, it has to be there. It has to be there because you have to function as one team. Yeah. But when you get a chance to regain that self-identity and when you figure out who you are and what you are made for and who you are made for and what you are made to do, the situation changes. Mm -hmm. Because if you truly value yourself, you wouldn't let somebody take advantage of you, and I'm saying let because I believe there's a lot of things that you think you are powerless against, or do you think they have no power? Mm-hmm. Like your no carries weight. Like yeah. when you say no, that word carries a lot of weight. So don't get so caught up in oh well they're this rank or they're this position. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Your no carries weight too. Yeah. Your no is bigger than any rank. Is higher than any ranking. Carries more weight than any rank.
0: Right, right. I love that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Go, go, go for it.
1: You can't say no to a direct order, but also in there, it says lawful order.
0: Lawful. We do know that there, you know, again, there are divisions in every branch Mm -hmm. that specifically help with this conversation. You know, veterans, there's specific veteran advocacy groups that help with this conversation. Again, reach out to someone you trust. And share your story. I think if we shed light, if we help those who are suffering in silence find their voice, you know, we can help. Because ultimately, we're asking a lot of our men and women in uniform, and they should not have to be uh, preyed on. They, they mm-hmm. shouldn't have to be devalued. They shouldn't have right. to face certain situations while serving in these organizations. And I think if we don't shed light, if we don't give smart, meaningful, empowering advice like you just did. You know, we—it's like turning a blind eye to what we know can occur if we allow a toxic culture to exist. And unfortunately, at times we are guilty of not speaking up enough to shed light in areas that could be toxic. So, I, you know, I want to thank you for what you shared and and just sharing that experience because, wow, (laughs) you know, wow. When you're asked to lead, at times you don't know exactly how far that leadership goes. Right. Right.
1: It's one of those things that I was told any new soldier that that came to my section or that came to my unit, I said, you are no longer by yourself now. Whenever you have an issue and you bring it up to me, now it's a we problem. It's not a you problem. It's a we. Me and you are going to work together to figure it out. We will fix it. We will find a solution for it. If we cannot figure it out, I will make it a point to push the issue higher so that I can add more people to this we issue until it gets figured out. I would believe that when, when leaders step up and make the right decisions.
0: Even the hard decisions. yeah, Even the hard
1: decisions. Because those are very, <laughs> I was going to say those are very hard, but the right decisions sometimes are difficult to make. Yeah. When leaders start acting like leaders, when those that train leaders mm-hmm. start training leaders for life versus mission. Ah. Because I think that's also another culture shift that needs to happen in the military or in the veteran community is, we need to train for life, not for mission. because That's a catchphrase. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. It must have been my coffee this morning. But (laughs) I I literally had to think in my head. I'm like, you know, when you see a marathon runner training for a marathon, they're training for that specific marathon. And then once that's over, then they just go back to life. But when you see somebody who is training for life, a marathon isn't really just another race. It's just a part of life. So when we train leaders, we honestly need to train them for life in a way that they can speak life into their soldiers or into their Marines or into their subordinates versus cutting down their life in the sense of trying to use their rank to empower them. You know, I also always told soldiers that my Sergeant stripes point up. However, what that means to me is these stripes can't do nothing for me. Mm. Those stripes honestly didn't do nothing for me on a personal level. Like I told my soldiers, like, I try to make these stripes work for me. They don't, my, my stripes can't get me anywhere. But using these stripes to help you, oh man, I've gotten places that I didn't believe I could get. Like so, my mm-hmm. stripes are for them, not for me. Yeah. I I earned them, yes, but they're used for my soldiers and not for me. You know, on an individual yeah. basis. Because yeah. if you walk into a uh, say you know an S one shop and you're like, hey, I'm here to get some for me, they're gonna look at you like, mm, yeah. Yeah, you're selfish. <laughs> you're crazy. But if you're like, "Hey, I have a soldier that needs this," like, yeah. I really want you guys to push this issue for the soldier. Their reaction time, it,
0: yeah, it totally might still be, you know, it, yeah.
1: it's it's gonna be a different conversation. Yeah, I definitely believe that we need to train leaders for life versus mission.
0: Yeah. All right, Theo. I'm gonna have to end on that one. I think that was so phenomenal. I, I think we had a, a very phenomenal conversation, and some of the highlights for me was just you know your story of uh, moving to the United States, um, being introduced to the marines at such a young age and they left such a firm impression you know mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the story you shared about your mom not recognizing you and then making sure that you ate like every good mother should. oh my goodness she fed me yeah.
1: like i got so sick because she will not stop buying me chips she won't stop buying as, as yeah should, as, as you, you should
0: and then just just your your uh, facts about the viewpoint of a military spouse. I think we overlooked that so much, the sacrifices they make and and how much of a divide there is between those mm-hmm. who serve and those who don't and how we can bridge that. And then lastly just your deep training around leadership. I think that conversation never stops whether in uniform or out of uniform and just what you said about your sergeant stripes and and how again they're not for you. They're for those that you lead. I think right. you know from this conversation those still in uniform and those who are veterans and those that love and support us, you know, what they'll find is that, you know, you have a heart for leadership. You have a heart for service. And lastly, I think that whatever you do next, you know, the same excellence and professionalism, the same leadership that you brought to the core, to the army, you're going to take there. How can our listeners help support you? Um, Where can we connect with you? Where can other podcasts and podcast hosts invite you to come on to speak on their show?
1: Oh, man. Um, They can reach me at Barber on uh, Instagram or uh, TheoBrown-T on my Facebook Mm -hmm. or um, TheoBrown.T at gmail.com. That's my uh, email. Yeah, I'll be glad to definitely be part of anything that's helping the community in a positive way. I just think there's just so much work left to do Mm. um, that we aren't looking at at a lot of venues that we can go from, especially being veterans. um, We can impact with our training and with things that that we've seen with things that that we've learned along the way, no matter how long you've been in the service, we can reach the community on such a different level. Yeah. And I'll share this last piece with you. I believe that spouses are the silent warriors that Mm -hmm. have to suffer in silence. Mm. And I'll tell you, this one little last bit because my wife had, you know, we sat down and we discussed it. And she said, you know, while you were in the military, I, I supported you. And there's a lot of things that I had to deal with that I couldn't let you see. Mm. I couldn't let you see because I didn't want that to affect you and your mission in the way that you treated your, your soldiers. But it affected me in a way that will stay with me for the rest of my life. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea. I literally had no idea. So, Those spouses out there that are going through the transition, those spouses that are going through the military life that you weren't signed up for or or didn't sign up for or or weren't expecting, you have a voice. Use it. Communicate Mm. effectively. And effectively meaning share with your spouse what you're feeling and what is going on with you. That will help them guide their career in Mm. a positive way. Because if they keep going and keep going and keep going, I don't want to blame you, but you have to voice what you feel and how you feel and what you are going through, or else they'll keep making the same decision continuously. Keep re-enlisting when it's putting you and the kids in a hard spot.
0: Oh, come on. Yeah. 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 Man, I think we all needed to hear that. Wow. Just when I thought, you know, we couldn't <laughs> add any more to this rich dialogue you just did, Theo. Um, again, I want to thank you for your time. I, um, Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, this has been phenomenal. Wow. Follow Theo Brown on Instagram, Theo, the smiling barber underscore before that. Tell him you heard about him here. And uh, Theo, will talk soon. And
1: Oh, man, I hope so. I hope so. There's yeah. so much. I, I have wow. so funny stories from when I came to America that you need to hear. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I am like, just blown away. You know, we, uh, we did get to share it a bit, but wow, you uh, absolutely. so many layers, man! So many. <laughs> yes, like yes. the first time I had ice cream. Oh my gosh, oh, wow. that was crazy! Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll
0: well, enjoy the rest of your uh, your Friday, and thanks again for being on the show, Theo. I definitely will. Thank you so much,
1: Bernard. It was a great talking to you. A pleasure meeting you this past weekend. Yeah, man, looking forward to staying in touch and doing a whole lot more.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Take care.
1: All right, you too. Thank you.